have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me to the book of Esther. Esther, the uh, seventh chapter is where I'm going to go. Esther chapter 7. Just a quick verse in Esther chapter 7, verse 2. On the second day at the banquet of wine, and I feel no responsibility to have to preach on Esther. I bet you all have heard more sermons on Esther at, Mary, at uh, women's conferences, but I do want to make a point about her, but even more than that, about the king that she had in her life. So they were having a banquet of wine, and the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. I want to talk about that for a few minutes. I want to talk about girl power. I want to talk, what in the world got a hold of this king, not just any king either. If you study who this king was, Aharius, the king of Persia, do you know, I'm not making this up, you can check out what I'm saying. If it was not him, it was in the line, the lineage, the, the movie 300 is a true story. Now they turned it basically, cartooned it kind of, but the, the actual battle that took place between the Greeks and the Persians, it actually happened like under this king. He was that powerful. He had a million-man army. He had wealth and riches that we can't even imagine. I don't think it was hyperbole or uh, just, you know, a casual thing he threw out when he said to this girl, really, this young girl, as powerful and as eccentric and as, as, as wealthy and, and influential as I am, you have so much favor on your life from me, I'll give you half of my kingdom. I could only find that one other place in all the Bible, in the New Testament, when Herod got drunk. <laughs> and, and, and when he got drunk and his... Uh, his wife's daughter danced for him vulgarly. Now this one, you know, there's one story in this where Vasti, this, the first king, the book of Esther opens with a, a queen named Vasti and she wouldn't dance and then she disappears. And there's a beauty contest and Esther wins the beauty contest. But in the New Testament, Herod's stepdaughter danced and he made that statement, I'll give you half the kingdom. And she opted out for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So it's not just something thrown away or thrown around lightly um, for a king of this magnitude when he sent his ships to invade uh, an army he was fighting. It's a historical fact. He took chains when the when the sea got angry and or the sea, you know, had a storm and the, some of the ships sunk. He made his admirals get out of those boats with chains. This is the egotism. This is the this is the way these guys think. We can't even imagine. Their minds are so much different from the normal average mind that he would made them take chains and beat the ocean for days with big chains, 24 hours a day, thinking that you, you, you come against me, ocean, I'll whip you down. And, and 
I mean, that's the kind of mentality. That's why when Esther was told by Mordecai, you know, you better go in and do something because there's a plot to kill all the Jews, go before the king. She, she, first of all, she thought, do you know what happened to the last girl that didn't please this guy? And now you're wanting me to go in and, 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 and I'm not invited. And there's a law that says I can't come in if I'm not invited. And what if he's in a bad mood? It could be over for me. And I love what she said. I've taught on this so many times. She said, I want you to fast and pray for me for three days. One of the most powerful fasts that women can do is an Esther fast for three days. You figure it out, but if you've never fasted before, you might ought to try it just occasionally when you really, really, really need the favor of God in some situation, the favor of the king. And, and when she said, I'm going in, this, this, is, this is a big deal. This man is, he's kind of scary. He's, he's not the norm. He's, he's unconventional. He's, he thinks differently. He thinks nothing of anything but himself. And if I don't have the favor on me, I know I'll die. So fast for me. And they fasted for three days. And she went in. And then we came to the text of the result. He said, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give you half the kingdom. This man thought differently. You know, you think that he would have rewarded her with something nice, maybe a, a, a necklace or, or a, but he wasn't even thinking that little. He wasn't thinking that small. He wasn't thinking just get by stuff. He, he, he said, you're my queen. I really love you. And I'll give you up to half the kingdom because it's important to understand that that, that, that kings just don't think like normal people. Kings are different. Kings just, kings are, they're eccentric. They're, 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 they're kind of crazy. Have you ever done a study of kings? I, I even noticed the other day uh, on the news, and I say this respectfully, I really do. And, and King Charles was... Uh, signing some documents. He had just become king. And I saw this and, and I didn't want to laugh because, but it was funny to me. And, and when he's signing it, there's a little ink thing and a little pen and, and, and he didn't want to bother with it. He, he's so annoyed. He, he's like, hey, it's beneath me to pick this pen thing up. I want Cherise to treat me like that. I, I just... I, I, show, show the whole thing like I told you to do. I, I, I want you to watch this. I want y'all to go home and treat your husband one day like this. If he does like that, that means come on now. Come on. Look at that. Look at that. He's, he's annoyed now. He's annoyed. I will. Look, that too. That too. And, and I don't, I don't, they just don't think like normal people. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. They don't think like normal. Kings don't think like normal people. They are out there. You think you're a drama queen. You ought to get around a king. <laughs> I'm going somewhere, I promise. 
But when you, when you study, when you study kings, the kings of islands and nations and Europe, and especially, you know, like in the past, the Middle East king, the kings of history, oh my goodness, you, you almost would have to say, if, if, if a person is a king, the way they act, they're either a king or a kook. And the only difference between a king and a kook is one has a lot of wealth and a lot of money and he can wear anything he wants. Oh, he's okay. He's a king. <laughs> but, but if you're a kook and you try to act like a king, then you're crazy. Okay. Okay. That's the difference. I just thought I'd help somebody. Kings are fascinating people to study. Not just royalty like royal kings in Europe, but even in America, we've had kings of different degrees in this nation. For example, James Bennett in 1841 was known as the king of newspapers. He was the first to found and come up with the New York Tribune, which became at that time the largest newspaper circulation, daily newspaper in America, and he became unbelievably wealthy, without question, one of the wealthiest and most powerful men, and they called him, his nickname was the King of Newspapers. Let me give you some example of like how, it's how uh, unconventional and just wild in his thinking, big in his thinking, so he decided that he wanted to take a trip to Monte Carlo. So he goes on the Orient Express and he had to have bodyguards because he, he carried so much wealth. They didn't have credit cards and stuff. So he just carried, carried it all with him and he had bodyguards and the main one he really liked. And this was back in the early 1900s. And he, at the end of the trip, when he got there, gave a tip, reached into his pocket and pulled out and gave a tip to that bodyguard of $14,000 in money back then. You can imagine what that, that would be tr tremendous today, but can you imagine what it was worth? And, that's, and the story is told of how that he, there was a certain restaurant on a cliff that overlooked the ocean in Monte Carlo that he loved to eat at. And he knew he had limited time, so he just showed up. He didn't make reservations. Very popular restaurant, and the owner knew him. Uh, and the moment he saw him, you know, it's like everybody else, get out of the way. Come on, what, what do you want? What do you want? And he said, I, I, I want a certain table. I want a certain dish, and I want a certain waiter. He said, I've got the dish, and I've got the waiter. Thankfully, he's here tonight. But he said, I'm so sorry, Mr. Bennett, the table that you love right there over the cliff, looking down on the ocean as the sun is setting, someone is eating there. They're regular customers and they've already started their meal. He said, I don't care. I want that table. And, and, the, and the owner said, well, I just, I, 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 I can't move. I can't ask them to move. He said, how much do you want for the restaurant? And he said, oh, well, it's not for sale. I said, how much do you want for the restaurant? And he thought of a price that was about five times what he knew it was worth and told him. And the man said, reached into his pocket and said, it's $40,000, which that, can you imagine in the early 1900s what that would be worth today? And he handed him that money and he said, 
you can leave. This is my restaurant. And the man, without telling anybody, took the money and ran. (laughs) He walks over to the table where the people, a little couple, are enjoying their meal. And he says, excuse me, this is my table. And I I can't prove it. I'm going to make this part up right here. (laughs) The wife spoke up. Because the man probably recognized who he was, but the wife spoke up and said, we're not moving. But he said, I'm sorry, this is my restaurant. You're free to go over there. There's tables all around us, but this is where I'm sitting. Get up now. This is my restaurant. And they got up. Now that, that's pretty crazy, right? But then, then, the waiter comes and serves him a meal. He has a wonderful meal. And at the end of it, he says, well, I'm about to leave. And here's my tip for you. I'm giving you this restaurant. It is now yours. Because kings are different. Kings reward different. Kings think different. Kings, if you get the favor of a king, it's just, it's just hard to put into words how crazy that can be. There's another king in U.S. history by the name of Elvis Presley. He's called the king of rock and roll, and he is dead. Uh, If you're looking for him, spotting him at the beach somewhere or something, it's not true. He's gone. Get over it. Deal with it. But, but, but this is, this is, they say is a true story, and that's probably, you know, grown some and been added to a little bit, but I'm going to just sum it up, what I, what I heard. That just before he became a household name, just as he was kind of on the rise and he was coming into some good money, you know, in his career, but he wasn't like, a, it's kind of like now the parents and the older people don't know who the hot shot is in music and stuff right now. We, we're usually about a year or two late. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I don't know who they, if they, I don't know who that is. What's the big deal? Uh, you know, and so it was kind of like that. The kids knew who he was, and he was, signed his contracts, and he was making big money, and his song was being played. But the parents never listened to that station; they could care less. So this guy goes to Memphis to the Cadillac dealership. He loved Cadillacs, loved to collect them, and he goes into the car dealership. I'm going somewhere, so just relax. And he walks into the um, Cadillac dealership and there is a, uh, he looks and sees a Cadillac he likes and he sees a salesman. He says, sir, could you help me with this, please? And the salesman said to him something like this, said, son, I'm extremely busy. And it's pretty obvious because he had on a a t-shirt, blue jeans and tennis shoes. And he said, sir, I'm, I'm pretty busy. He said, sir, would you help me? I want to look at this car. He said, son, trust me, you don't have the money. Come back and see me in about 20 years, and I'll show you that car. Otherwise, I don't have time. Probably need to be moving along. He walked outside, walked into the back of the dealership, and there was a 14 or 15-year-old young African-American boy who was washing the cars outside. And he said, would you come with me? walked him in, 14-year-old kid, and he said, then he walked up and he said, I demand to see the owner. And he pulled out a wad of $1,000 bills, cash. And the owner came, almost hurt himself, coming out from behind the desk. 
runs out and says, yes, sir, what can I do for you? He said, I want to buy that Cadillac and I'm going to buy one for several of my friends in, in the band and I want you to go on and place the order. I think it was seven or eight of them. And he said, under one condition, this young man right here gets full commission. Not one penny will go to anybody, especially that jerk right over there. Kings, come on now, kings don't, they just don't think like other people. But the craziest, greatest story that I've heard is the one about the king of Saudi Arabia. And uh, he, this was years ago, many, many years ago, but he loved, he loved to play golf and he had met a teacher that teaches all the pros, that was teaching all the pros uh, golf and giving them lessons in golf and how to become better, mentoring, teaching them. And, uh, and, and so he invited him to come to Saudi Arabia to help his game, sent his private 747 jet, picked him up by himself, flew him all the way to Saudi Arabia, put him up in the most glorious, glamorous hotel you can imagine, suite, everything you can imagine, had him out on the golf course with him and his entourage for about two weeks every day, and it increased and took off of his game two or three strokes, and so to a golfer, that's just the biggest deal in the world, and the, print, the, the, the king of Saudi Arabia was so thrilled and so happy that as the guy was leaving, he said, I want to do something for you to show my gratitude. It's the way we do over here. It's part of our culture that if you please the king, the king is going to do something nice for you. And he said, oh, king, I have never in my life been treated like this. I'll have memories for the rest of my life. I'll be able to tell my grand, I'll be talking about this to my grandchildren. You, you paid me an unbelievable amount of money to be here. And it's been one of the highlights of my life. You don't have to do anything. He said, no, I have to save face. You don't understand our culture. If I don't do something because they've seen me laugh and smile and you have gained my favor. And uh, if the people see it, they'll, they, they, it's not good. And so he said, okay, well, you don't have to, but you know, I, I, I love to collect golf clubs and, and, and just, just pick anyone and send me one. Gets on the jet, flies home, gets back, and about two weeks later, he gets a registered letter in the mail, opens it up. It's a little note from the king, and it's a deed for a golf club. You know, he was thinking like a, a driver or a little, a little putter maybe with a cluster of diamonds and his initials. It's, it's a 500-acre golf club. Because kings, they, they don't reward like normal people. Now I'm going to preach. I did not come to preach about the king of rock and roll. I did not come to preach about the king of Persia. I did not come to tell you about a king who even gained such favor for his queen that when he looked at her, he said, I'll give you half the kingdom. But I came to tell you about a king who said in Luke chapter 12, and I want him to throw this one up because it's big. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. I am not a 
normal giver. I am not a normal rewarder. I am not somebody who just has little plans for you and your family. And I'm not talking about money and cars and stuff. God will supply your needs. But I'm talking about the kingdom of God. It's not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the power to get up and face life and raise champions that not with perfect little lives that never go through anything, but whatever hell throws at us, the favor of God comes on us like a shield and we can walk through it and come out better and what was meant for our evil, God turns for our good. I'm telling you, you're his queen and he's a good God and he knows how to bless you and whatever you're thinking, he's thinking bigger and whatever you're figuring, he's figuring mightier and greater than you can even imagine. Now I need to calm down because I'm scaring your Methodist and Baptist friends that came. Listen to this verse. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways. You got it all planned out and figured out what the maximum is, that kid of yours, especially that troubled one. You, you've, you figured out the best that he could ever turn out for that one. <laughs> my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's my queen. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're dreaming, you just need to know that kings don't think like normal people. And he said, I'm not going to withhold. I'm going to show you my favor and bless you if you will stand in faith and learn to trust me no matter what it looks like. Case example, biblically, Abraham, is, this is one of the most beautiful stories in Genesis 14 and Genesis 15, but Abraham, one of his family members, Lot, gets held captive, and he takes an army and goes down and destroys the enemy and, and brings his, his, his nephew back with him, and it's such a great victory that the king where, where Abraham was, came out, and he wanted to reward him. And he said, look, you brought all those spoils. He said, you keep them. This is the king talking. You keep them. And uh, I'll just take, because he, he, he didn't just set the lot free. He set a bunch of people who were held captive that, from that area, including some of the king's wives and so on. And so, and so he, he, he said, you just give, restore the people, and as a reward, I want you to keep all the stuff, Abraham. And I love Abraham's response. In so many words, I'm going to preach it like I want to. In so many words, Abraham said, you're not my king, and you're not my reward. I appreciate it, but I'm not for sale. You can't buy me. And I love why he said what he said. Watch this. He said, he said, he said, 
And, and, and the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, just give me the persons and take the goods. This is verse 21. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. I won't even take the shoestring for my shoes from you. And, 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 and the king was just trying to be nice. But, but his whole deal was the king wasn't used to being taught like that talk to like that. And, and so he said, I will not take anything that is yours, lest it be said, I, or you, king, have made me rich. And then look at chapter 15, verse 1. See, God, God was watching. God was watching. God was watching, and he said, I'm going to see who your king is. Is that guy your king, or am I your king? The possessor of heaven and earth. And when he passed that test, God Almighty, look, and the scripture said, and after these things, after what things? After he, after he just said, I, I know who my king is. He's up there, not down here. The Lord God came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. Oh, I love this verse. I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. In other words, I'm your king. I'm your rewarder. I'm the one who knows and what I have for you. And then the, now, 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 I, I, I got to preach it. I got to slow down. I got to preach it. And then notice the next verse, what Abram said back to God when he said in the vision to him, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great rewarder. He said, listen to him, listen to him. In the dream, in the vision. Lord God, what will you give me? Listen to him right here. Seeing I go childless in the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then he goes, and Lord, you have given me, the verse three, you have given, look, Lord, look, you have given me no offspring. Now watch, kings don't reward like normal people. You better be careful what you're asking God to do. You better not say, God, use me and use my children. You, may, you have no idea. God's like, oh, you want a baby? You really, that 99-year-old that bride, and you want a baby? You, if you want to know how many babies you're going to have, then he tells them, walk outside and look at the stars that are up in heaven and reach down and grab sand. I'm going to give you spiritual Israel. Uh, so many you can't count the church, and I'm going to give you natural Israel. Millions and millions and millions of your seed so great that you can't even comprehend it. And he's worried about, are we going to ever get our one child? You're going to be changing diapers the rest of your life. And can y'all see, can y'all see Sarah, a hundred-year-old mother, walking around with a baby, breastfeeding? I mean, she's like. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, and Lord, I repent. You, sh you, you shouldn't ask me anymore. I keep telling you that. Get you a girl up here. That is not in these stupid notes, I'll tell you that. 
I tell you what is in these notes. That king brought you here. That king has favor on you. That king says, you're my queen. That king says, I love your children more than you love them. I have plans for you. I have big plans for you. That's why you can't quit. You can't stop. You can't give up. Even when it looks like nothing good is happening, something good is happening. You have to plant seeds of faith in your field of doubt and then stand there and get rid of the umbrella and say, let it rain. I'm, I'm almost done, but sit down. Turn to somebody beside you and say, God wants to be good to you. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul hated Christianity. I'm sure that he used so many times because he was a scholar and when you talk to Jewish people you have to you have to speak to them on a certain level because they're looking for the Messiah and he had to disqualify Jesus as the Messiah and I'm sure he at times took because he he actually lays this case out later after he's converted but I'm sure he took the verse in the Old Testament that said, cursed is everything that hangs on a tree. Everyone who dies hanging on a tree is cursed. Of course, a reference of Jesus hanging on the cross. So I'm sure every time he went and arrested, the Bible said, you, you know he held coats of the murderers who stoned Stephen to death. You, you, you know he arrested Christians and incarcerated them and beat them just like Paul and Silas. He later would get those beatings, but he was dishing them out when he was a zealot for Judaism. He did not believe in Jesus as Messiah. And he's on the road to Damascus going to kill somebody, going to incarcerate, going to burn a church, a, a Christian church down somewhere. All of a sudden, Jesus appears. He has a sunstroke, not an S-U-N, an S-O-N, a sunstroke. The Bible said a light is bright as the sun, and he fell off his horse, and he looks up, and he says, who are you? Messiah, who are you? It had to throw him for a loop because if you read it in the book of Acts, this is what it says. It says that he said, the voice said, the bright light, the angel looking majestic being in front of him, it was the resurrected Lord. He said, I am Jesus. And then the very next question Paul asked is, watch, watch, watch. What would you have me to do for you? I really believe in that moment, he thought, well, he's gonna, he's gonna have me renounce all the bad things I've done and he's gonna forgive me. And, 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 and he, I, I'm going to try to get over my past the rest of my life because God knows I've got one that's terrible and God can never use anybody like me. I, I've, I, I've murdered people. I've killed people. God, I, I have a criminal record. I, I, there ain't no way. If it would have been a woman, he, he could have said I've had an abortion or I, I, I've been through a divorce or, or I, I'm just a failure. My daddy beat me or someone, I, my, my, my husband doesn't love me. Jesus looked at him and he said, what would you have me 
asked Jesus that one question. Do you know what the scripture said? He said, I want you to go to this certain place and Ananias will lay hands on you. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the king's mind, I'm almost, in my mind, could see Jesus almost having to cover the smile on his face. What will I have you do for me? You're going to become the greatest evangelist to the lost nations of the world in human history. You're going to write half the New Testament. You're going to, you want to be used by me. I'm not thinking what you're thinking. And you're not going to have a beautiful life. You're going to get some beatings and you're going to get some whippings and they're actually going to cut your head off. And one day you're going to pay an awful, awful price. You, you, you may think it's, it's, it's getting speaking engagements or you may think it's just big houses and blessings all the time. But if I'm really going to use you, you're going to be broken. You're going to walk the floor. You're going to be in seasons of confusion where you know where you're going, but you don't understand where you are. Nothing is going then right. The vision looks crazy. I must have misunderstood but I promise you I'm going to use you. And what I have in mind, and I feel like telling somebody, the very one that you think is least capable and least likely to succeed in the kingdom is the very one God will reach down and say, just for my glory, I might even give him a thorn so that he's all the time kind of, you know, he's got joy, but he's always got so much stuff on him. A little bit of tinge enough to keep him humble. Keep giving me the glory, and when he's weak, I'll be strong. And I end with this. I had to look at it again. I want them to put this up. Luke 20, Luke 12, and verse 32. Fear not little. That's what got me. Luke, Luke 12 and verse 32. Fear not. Fear not, what a word to women, fear not, fear not, what, what, fear not what? That God, really, the, the, the flavor of that verse is you're afraid of the Father. You're afraid that really He doesn't like you. You're afraid that He really doesn't want the best for you. You're afraid that you really can't trust Him. You're afraid that, that, that really, if you really put all your marbles in you know, in, in, in that one little bag that, that he's going to let you down. But here comes the word, fear not. He really does love you. He really does. You really do have not half of the kingdom favor, the whole kingdom favor. Then he, the, the, the word he got me that I, I just speed read through that one is little. Little. Little flock. You just, I don't know that you, you feel like you're little, you're small, you're insignificant. I wrote this down, I, just speaking to myself. It spoke to me this, this morning, little. Sometimes God keeps putting me in places and before people that I feel so little. But he said, it's my pleasure. It's my joy. I don't do it stingy. stingy. I don't do it you know, here, I don't really like you. It's my good pleasure to favor you. 
It's my good pleasure to raise you. It's my good pleasure to place my hand on you and your family. I want you to act like it. You're my queen. You've got girl power with the king. And I close with this. He said, flock, little flock. That takes me to Psalms 23, the green pastures, the still water. My cup runneth over. Mercy and goodness follow me. Prepares a table in the presence. I'm part of that little flock. Prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. They come one way, they run seven. And I got to quit, but, but what I want you to understand is Ephesians, the sixth chapter, or the third chapter. I want to close with this, the second chapter, and I, I end with this. Uh, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, not just love, his great love, rich. Some people, he, he's, money, money is, he puts that on the streets in heaven. He don't even count that. Here's what he's rich in, mercy. Because of his great love with which he has loved us. Next verse, quickly. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, for by grace are you saved. Quickly, next verse. And raised us up together. Here it is. And made us sit together in heavenly places raised us up and made us queens and kings unto our God. He said, I don't offer you half the kingdom. You're not Esther. You're more important than that. You're under a new and better covenant. And I've raised you to sit at my table and hold your head up because I have things, whatever you're asking for is so much bigger when I get through with it. Do you believe that this, this afternoon? Do you believe that? Clap your hands for just a moment. Clap your hands for just a moment. Stand to your feet all over this room. And uh, every head bowed and every eye closed. Please just very reverently, no moving unless it's an absolute emergency, please. If you're in this room and you came with friends or loved ones and you've been going through this whole conference and God has already like just dismantled things and walls have come down and at the same time you felt hope rising, you felt faith coming up, you felt glimpses and seen glimpses of, of, of things that you know God could do. God could do. He could do. That's the that's the initial embryonic stage of faith is things hoped for, the scripture said. The evidence of things not seen. You would like to just absolutely, in this last session of this conference, leave here this morning 
a queen of the king understanding that you're rich you have been loaded down rich with mercy meaning nothing in your past disqualifies you from God in his future and his present for what he has in your life if you know that is what you need I want you to raise your hand up right where you're standing all over this room and then raise the other hand because it's almost everybody raise your other hand and say Lord I received this morning a revelation that you are a mighty king you're a potentate the only king of kings and the only Lord of Lords if earthly kings think that big I can't comprehend eyes have not seen ears have not heard neither has it entered into my mind the big things, the big plans that you have purposed for me in my life, in my family, in your cult, in your purpose in my life, to get glory out of my life. So throw your hands up and begin to praise Him all over this room. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin, and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.